Bob usually is the one that hooks me up to the headset. So as I'm like trying to figure that out, I was like, Scott, I need to close the door while I figure out how to get this headset under my hair and, and all this other kind of stuff. And some of you might notice as I'm over there worshiping with everybody, this action coming on. I'm just going to tell you, I am in the middle of a hot flash about 24 hours a day. So I'm not having a medical episode. There's no worries, to, you know, for you guys, if you just see that happening. Yeah, it's just a fact of life for me. And for others of you, I want to point out something you might have noticed on my arm. Um, I have an autoimmune form of diabetes, which requires insulin every day. And so I wanted to point that out because I've had a few people ask about it. And if you see me during a message start to drink on a juice or eat gummy bears, it's, it's not because I just felt like a snack. It's to bring my blood sugar back up, you know, because I, you know, every day I, you know, every time I teach, I pray, I'm like, Lord, please no low blood sugars, you know. And you'll hear my alarm go off if I start to have a low blood sugar um, because, Seriously, you don't want to see me just laying out on the floor for 15 minutes while I'm waiting for it to come back up. So, all right. I just want to get those things out of the way for some of you that might not have known me as long. Some of you guys who've been with us from the beginning, you know that. You've, you've seen me with the gummy bears and that kind of stuff plenty of times. So I, I appreciate that. Um, so... One of the reasons that I am teaching this weekend, obviously, I love teaching. I love teaching, and, and it's really fun to be able to do that. But Bob has been over this weekend in Gunnison to the CMA, Christian Motorcyclist Association, their road rally this weekend. And so that's where he's been. And then he is performing a celebration of life service this afternoon at noon in Sterling Ranch. So he will be there later on this afternoon. And I was like come on, let me do it. And, and of course, he, he's wonderful with that. But I know that some of you out there might have a love of motorcycles and not know that Bob is involved in that. So if that's something that you guys love, make sure that you hit Bob up about that because he's starting a local fast lane trap chapter of Christian Motorcycle Association here in Littleton. And so if, if that's something you're interested in, please talk to him about that because he loves, he loves talking about that. Okay, so we're going to go ahead, get going with the message. If you have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and bring yourself to Mark. Chapter 12 is where we're at. And what I'm going to be teaching on today is chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And it's called the poor widow's offering. Uh, some of them might say the widow's might. It can be kind of a, a, depending on your translation, they might have different little subheadings of it. And the, again, the scriptures are Mark 12, 41 through 44. Now, we've talked about before, I've talked about before, when you are studying, if there are parallel translations or parallel stories in the Bible. So the synoptic gospels often will tell the same story, maybe from a little bit of a different perspective. So it's always good to be able to study that in case you might get some more information, some more details uh, that aren't just in one of those. Now, in this particular instance, both of those are pretty similar. They're pretty much the same. But I'm going to tell you what the reference is so that you can look that up on your own if you want to later. So the parallel account to this is in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. So short recap of last week. I'm not going to go into a very long recap. It's, I'm just going to recap the last few scriptures that Bob taught on because I think they tie very well into what we're teaching on today and what we're studying. So we're going to start. I'm just going to read this to you. This isn't going to be up on the screen in Mark 12, verses 38 through 40. 
Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. So that was the last couple verses that Bob taught on. And the part I want you to especially zone in on as we go into these next few verses is verse 40. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property, right? And pretend to be pious. That last verse. Because that sets the scene for where Jesus is and what's been happening up until this point. Remember, he's been mad, to say the least, right? He's been angry at how they've been desecrating the temple, making it kind of a marketplace and ripping people off as they are trying to, you know, purchase their, their sin and their burnt offerings and money changers, and people are being taken advantage of. And maybe some people, just like in our world today, can absorb that being a taking advantage of, but some people cannot. And that's one of the things he's pointing out, these uh, poor widows being cheated out of their property. So our first scripture is Mark 12, verse 41. This one should be on the screen. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. So I think it's really, really important um, to start when you're studying to be able to set that picture in your mind, right? Because obviously this isn't exactly how things work for us today. So it's helpful to have like setting the stage, so to speak, so that as you're reading it, it can make sense. So what we're going to do is we're going to put on a, a little diagram of what the temple so this isn't anything fancy. I just grabbed it off of the off of off of the internet, right? So, and I wanted to point out just here. It says the court of Gentiles, court of women, treasury, uh, court of priests, court of the priests, court of the Israelites on the other side of that. So, kind of get that picture in your mind. And one of the first things when you look at this and you see court of the women, you're like hey, is that some cool place for the ladies to hang out and chit-chat or whatever? No. <laughs> I think if you've been studying for any amount of time, that's no, really, no real surprise to you. What the women's court actually is, and you guys can keep this up here for me for a few moments, is that um, that's where, as far as the women could go. So they couldn't go beyond the court of the women. And so where you see court of the Gentiles around that outside, that's as far as Gentiles could go. Uh, the Jewish men, they could hang out in the court of the women, which is also the treasury, but they could then go in here to the court of the Israelites. And then obviously court of the priests was reserved for the priests and so on. So I think that makes sense. So when it's talking about that, really it's just talking about the, how progressively far they could get into the temple. So that's what the women's court is. There's really no, no um, great mystery in that. That's as far as the women could go. Um, but I think it makes sense to us when you think of it as the treasury, they did not want to keep the women from going someplace where they could put in their offerings, right? So they want everybody to make it to the treasury. So, um, so what did the treasury look like? What was the deal with the treasury? So... We've done a little bit of study, or I've done a little bit of study on the treasury trusts, and um, they had 13 
And I'm just gonna point out right here where it says the beautiful gate, the entry right here. That would be where two of those treasury trusts would be, and that's where they would collect the temple tax. So Bob taught about the half-shekel temple tax that um, all Jewish men, 20 and older, what they had to pay to the temple. That is where they would collect it as they're entering in. So just have that in your mind there. Now there's 11 more that would be spread throughout that treasury. And um, just as a kind of an interest note, they're described as trumpets. And it's because they have a wide end and then narrow. And it's interesting, as I was studying this out, I've seen teaching and paintings showing it wide side on the bottom and wide side on the top. So I'm just going to say it was shaped like a trumpet and one of the ends was wide. In my mind, I kind of picture it being a little bit more narrow at the top so people aren't just, you know, sticking their arm in there and trying to grab things out randomly. But they would have been these chests with these trumpet uh, little collection things for the money to go down into. All right, so now you can take that down. All right, so we, we know the, the men are paying that temple tax as they walk in. And if you want to know a little bit more about the temple tax, in Exodus uh, chapter 30, it talks about that. So if you want to just make a note of that, if you want to read a little more about the temple tax, that's not really uh, a crux of what we're teaching on today. So those other ones, those other 11 treasury chests, so what would they be? So when we give here, right, we've got our offering box. You know what you're giving. A lot of that goes to maintaining the chapel, you know, maintaining the staff. But it also goes to outreach. It also goes to food pantry. It also goes to many of the things that we do, almsgiving, that kind of thing. That wasn't really the case in this temple treasury. In this treasury, these boxes were for the maintaining of the temple. And so you have to kind of think about the mindset that would be then for the people that are giving to these different categories. So let's talk about what some of those are. Um, you would have some that were for turtle doves, and they'd be marked so people would know what they were giving to. So how this worked is somebody, say they traveled. So we've talked about people traveling, right? And when you are giving an offering, it's supposed to be spotless, like in perfect condition. So we know that one of the challenges, if you had a far way to travel, would be how do you get this turtle dove here in one piece, still alive in spotless, perfect condition, right? You could purchase it once you got there. Maybe it's expensive, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a matter of, it's complicated to go through the, the offering process and you need to make sure it's done a certain way so the priests have to be part of that to make sure the offerings are done correctly. So what they had set up is where people could put in the financial equivalent of the turtle dove, right? Into that offering box, right? And then they would collect that money later, buy the appropriate number of turtle doves for however much money was in there, and then the priests would do those offerings. So it's practical. It's an economy of scale, right? So the priests can just do this. They can do it correctly. And, you know, because if you did it for every single person, that would be pretty challenging. That's not to say that nobody was involved in their offering, but this was a way that they could do that. And they had an, another one, like if you couldn't remember if they were poor and they couldn't afford turtle doves, pigeons were an option. 
They had another one for pigeons, right? Uh, just an aside as I was studying this, think about for just a second, would that somehow separate you from the reason why you were giving for an offering, a burnt or a sin offering? You just throw some money in there, you know? You don't have to be embarrassed about doing your, your burnt offering or your sin offering in front of everybody. It allows you a little modesty, a little separation in that way. Um, again, that's, we're just going to talk about some of these things to take this story one step beyond just what they're talking about in the widow's might and talk about what was happening in general at this time. And Jesus talks about all the things that are happening in the temple that have separated people from understanding why they are worshiping to begin with. And this is one of those examples, I believe, that whole process of being able to kind of separate yourself from why you're giving to those categories to begin with. We were on Wednesday night when we do the midweek service. Um, it's very small. And we have some back and forth, a little discussion, and we, we, we threw out what is a modern-day example. And it could be, say you did something, you just blew it with a family member or a friend, and you just can't bear to face them, so you send them an email. Or you text to break up with somebody, you know, something like that. Yeah, right? Totally not the way you should do that, but it's a little separation, a little less embarrassing. That's kind of like that modern-day equivalent, I think. Um, some of the other categories were very, very practical. Contributions for wood that are used in the temple, incense for the gold vessels used for ministry, money left over from sin offerings, money left over from trespass offerings, offerings of birds, Nazarite offerings, cleansed leper offerings. Remember when Jesus cures the leper, right? He heals him and then he tells him, you still need to go to the priest and do all the things right? That's, that's part of what that would be because they would have to offer sin or burnt offerings. And then voluntary offerings to provide for other necessities not accounted for in other ways. So it's important to look at none of these categories are for anything outside maintaining the temple and the priests and things like that. So just keep that in your mind. So our next scripture, Mark 12, verse 42 then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. All right, so I wanted to give you a picture, right? I wanted to look up a painting or something because obviously there's not a photo or anything like that. Bob always makes that joke, but I'm like, it's got to be something I can put up there as a visual for this part. So go ahead and put up this. And this is, again, just one of those things in my study that kind of stood out to me. So what's the difference between this widow here and that widow there? Eight, right, yeah, absolutely. And I thought this is a really amazing thing when you think about the Bible. Sometimes we want to have every single detail laid out to us, but that's not the way it works. But much of the time, there are not those little details. And you can see here where the different, uh, the painter here and the person that staged that picture on the right how they saw it, what resonated with them, a poor old widow or a widowed single, mo you know, widowed mom with kids. And I thought, you know, God, when he wrote these things and chose not to necessarily include all these details that might distract us from the story, 
it's because we will fill in some of those gaps on our own, right? Because that right there isn't central to the story. She could be either, and this story still means the same. But he allows us to kind of work from what we know and what resonates in our hearts. And I thought, I thought that's an interesting example um, for us to think of when we start filling in some of those those blanks, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. But that's, that's just a, a side, and I, I wanted to put that out there to have you guys kind of think about those times where you maybe fill in the blanks to a story you don't know everything about. But the most important thing about that verse is that, or one of the most important things about that verse, is that she's a living example of what he just said. When he's talking about the shameless way that they treat widows, right? Immediately after there, after he sits there and he's observing what's going on, here's a living example for the disciples to see of what he was just talking about. This woman who doesn't have much to offer. And the widow's coins, when it talks about the two mites, the two little coins, they would not have been worth much at all. Like in our like a cent, you know, something like that. It's not like they would have been worth very much. And they wouldn't have been worth enough to cover pigeons or doves. So we can feel fairly certain that she's giving in one of those voluntary categories. So a free will gift that she's giving to help maintain the temple. And we've already talked about the fact that none of these categories were for maintenance of the poor. So she would have no belief that she somehow is going to indirectly benefit in a material way from her giving. So 100% this giving was, was not going to come back to her in the physical, materially. So what are some of the reasons why she would do this, why the widow would do this when she had so little to begin with? Now, I know our minds, we all have been in church a while. Maybe some of you are newer to church. But then we all know what the right answer is to that because she loved God and she, you know, that she was supposed to do that because it wasn't a forced giving, right? This wasn't an expected, this wasn't temple tax or anything like that. But really we want to go beyond just the fact that it would have been the right thing to do to give to those, to give to the maintenance of the temple. And as I was studying this out and just thinking about our experiences that we have today in church and with people that we know and have encountered over our years in ministry is that even the poor have a part in kingdom work. They are not exempt, nor should they want to be exempt, right? She, her little two cents might have seemed like nothing to some people, but by putting that in there, she was a part of what they were doing. And there was a lot of nonsense going on for sure, But that wasn't her and her heart behind her giving to a temple that obviously meant something to her, to a God that she loved. And Paul spoke about this when he spoke about the church um, in Macedonia. So we're going to 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 3. I'm just going to read this to you. Um, This is where uh, Paul's talking about this church in Macedonia that is helping to support his ministry. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. 
So those people in Macedonia, they had hearts to participate and they wanted to be part of spreading the gospel. And they were invaluable to Paul's ministry. And it wasn't like there was one of them who just wrote a big fat check and that was it. It was them in total. It was a privilege. They were stoked to be part of that. And they're in the Bible for all of eternity for their faithfulness. God has, has documented that forever, their faithfulness. Yet they were poor. They were poor. But they played a huge role in what we have today by helping to further Paul's ministry and spreading the gospel. So again, think about our current day situations. By show of hands, who has been on a missions trip? Okay, who has ever given to a missions trip? Perfect, wonderful. So here's something to think about. You may be, right? And when I say you, a lot of times in my mind, right? I'm filling in the blanks. Uh, you're 25 years old and you've got all kinds of energy and all that kind of stuff. And you're that person like, I can go and I don't care if I'm sleeping on the ground and all that kind of stuff. And I don't have the financial means to go. So I need to fundraise, right? So you've got the physical, right? But you don't have the financial and you put it out there. And many of those hands that raise for financial maybe. In that period of time, you didn't have the time where you could go because of a job. Maybe it was the physical. You're like, I am past that point where I can do that kind of stuff. But on either side of it, each person had a part to play, and together, it was magic. It was God's supernatural magic together. That heart to do or to finance or to be a part of, to provide that is a supernatural thing that God orchestrates in our lives and in his kingdom. And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So Paul is not saying you have to give for somebody to live high on the hog while you are destitute. He's not saying that. But he, ha he is saying that you need to give it eagerly and according to what you have, not what you don't have. Now, I also will say on Wednesday night, we had a very spirited conversation about this uh, particular piece of scripture and just giving in general. And um, we're going to set that aside because that could be a very long conversation. I believe these scriptures are much heavier on the heart behind whatever giving happens, right? So I don't believe that this is a story about how much or how to tithe or what's acceptable. Is it okay if I do this instead of that? We're just going to focus on the heart part of giving in general right here. And know that if you ever want to come on a Wednesday night and get after it, you totally can, right? So we, we have a little bit more uh, time to burn, I guess, on the end of the night there. So bring up uh, Mark 12, 43 for 44. These are our last two scriptures that we're studying today. So Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all the others into the treasury. For they all contributed out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has, made, uh, has put in all she had to live on. So Jesus's perspective is unique in that he being fully man and fully deity, he 
could probably know the heart of those that were giving. As he is sitting there observing this, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that's like, you know, as they walked up and he could see into their hearts and see into her heart when she's giving. It's a very unique perspective. She went above and beyond because she had so little to give and still gave it eagerly. It was voluntary. It was a free will offering. So picture this widow in this ornate temple with her two little coins. She obviously wasn't looking for status or recognition. Big gifts might be eye-catching to man, but not to God. doesn't matter to God because God can make whatever he needs to have happen, happen. It was her heart to give it that showed such rich generosity, and that's what caught Jesus' eye. So our, our current day idea of this is, who's ever been in a church where they passed the plate? Or the chicken bucket, right? Uh, or at a, at a special service, maybe you went to something where there was a speaker and they did a love offering, and you have in your mind, okay, love offering, this is awesome. You know, I'm gonna bring 10 bucks so I can throw in there. And right before the plate comes to you, somebody puts like 100 in it right next to you, and you're like, ten, you know what I mean? <laughs> You feel kind of like a jerk, and you're like, that's all I've got. You're emptying out your pocket, putting gum in there, whatever it is, you know. Um, That's not giving eagerly, right? You know, that's giving because you're embarrassed or you're trying to make a show of something. Um, On either side of that, right? And I, uh, I think there's another kind of example that I came into my mind that I thought I even maybe liked this example better. Have you ever worked somewhere or had a family member or somebody where you've gone into, unfortunately, a gift-giving war, almost to speak, where you're trying to one-up the other person on the gift-giving, or you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to buy an adult present, and I, I feel like I have to get something really good for this person. And it's not because you really want to get something really good for this person, it's because you feel like you have to, right? It's... You know, maybe it's a client, it's a family member, whatever. Now in your mind, think about when you give a gift to your spouse or your child or to a sibling, somebody that you love. And you're maybe going a little bit higher, not because you feel like you're going to be judged otherwise, but because you are so excited to give this person something that would be amazing to them or to help them. You're not expecting something back. You're doing this because you love this person. And I believe that's where this widow was. She loved God, right? And what she had to offer was to help support and maintain God's temple, even in that just little bit, right? That's where she was. Because again, there's no other reason. Nobody was forcing her to do this. That's why Jesus points it out is because of her heart and her eagerness to be able to be part of that experience um, of of helping to support God's God's plan. So think about the trust that that would have required of her to be trusting in God's provision because this is what she's got and she's trusting in his provision and his promise to provide. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
So I'm filling in some of the blanks in my story about the widow, that this wasn't the first time that she had ever given, that that trust and that faith had built in her heart from knowing that even though she didn't have much, that God would provide for her. And that's something that happens to us when we build that experience and that, that relationship. Giving a lot when you have a lot to give and you know you will have plenty left over is different than giving a lot of the little you have and you know you will only have a little, if anything, left over. Now, giving from the wealthy, the giving from the wealthy, it's not negated in this story. That, ne- that giving was needed. They obviously needed that to be able to maintain the temple. The question was, was it sacrificial? If somebody's just giving enough that they're like, ah, I could just burn this if I wanted to, that's different, right? It's not sacrificial in nature. It doesn't mean that it's not helpful, not needed, not blessed. You know, like I said, God will make sure that his plans happen, that his purposes are are moved out. And he does it through many, many people. And it doesn't mean those wealthy people had bad hearts either, You know, they might have been giving a little bit more to get a little bit more credit, but they were still giving, right? We don't know 100%. Jesus knew, and we know he wasn't super happy about what was going on, but he also didn't stop them from giving to the temple, right? That was something that happened because it was needed. So think about a time in your own life where you have given something at the leading of the Holy Spirit that stretched your comfort level. Or perhaps you gave something anonymously without the chance of any recognition or thanks. That's a big one. Anonymous giving is a a big one. Not because I think, I mean, some people might give wanting to get that recognition, that pat on the back. But I think, again, sometimes out of our excitement, we want to give something to somebody and we want them to know that we love them and that's why we gave that. So it takes an extra level of, I don't know, commitment, an extra level of humbleness to be able to say, I am going to forego the super fun part of somebody knowing that I have given this gift and I'm just going to give it. That's crazy, right? So I'm going to close with giving you a little bit of a story about Bob and my personal giving. So when we first started going to church, neither of us grew up in the church. Um, we didn't, so, so for us, we understood in the abstract the idea of tithing and giving. Um, but we had not been part of a, of a church because, again, we, we had had not great experiences as kids. And our parents weren't really connected, connected in that way. And so as adults starting to go to church, and that's like a whole nother amazing story that I'll tell you guys someday. Um, We started with, right, like we wanted the whole experience, like we'll give, you know, we can give like maybe 20 or 25 a week because that won't change our lives in any way. It won't in any way, shape or form inconvenience me or cause me any discomfort, right? Because we all know that convenience and comfort are fruits of the spirit. No, they're not, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. 
But that's where my mindset was. I wanted to give, right? I wanted to give, I wanted to help, but not to the point where it would cost me any kind of inconvenience by any means, right? And, and it always seemed like money was so tight, so really, I don't know that we could do any more than that. And then as the years progressed, we would tick that up, and we would start to be actually praying to the Holy Spirit you know, when we started to understand that concept of the Holy Spirit and being able to talk to him, what would you have me give? And our financial giving upticked and our, our giving of our time upticked, right? So he kind of had a split in a couple different ways. And every time that we would give either more of our time or of our finances, I would be like, oh, this is never going to work. This math is never going to work. We're never going to be able to absorb this. But we did every single time. Every single time. And if you wonder what it feels like when, when they say it's a privilege, I remember being that person sitting in a church and thinking, wow, I would never be able to give something that would ever really matter. You know? What a lie. What a crock the devil feeds us to think that our giving doesn't matter, right? And I'm not just, I'm not talking even tithing. I'm saying I am going to make coffee for the people like to come and make coffee for you guys in the morning. I'm going to pay for you to have some flowers in the front because you have a big dead tree out in the front, whatever it is, okay? To be able to do those things is a privilege, and how God works that math is something that we never understood until we experienced it ourselves. And that's why we don't tell you, you need to give X percentage, you need to whatever. You need to ask the Lord because he's excited to give you information. He's excited to give you guidance. He's excited for you to see what he can do with your obedience, right? It is an amazing, supernatural thing to let the Lord be part of that. And it's not a promise of give to get, you know. I, I wish I could tell you, hey, we gave, and it just started raining money on us every time that we started driving home. And that's not, that's not how it happened. That's not to say that sometimes we didn't have a windfall that we didn't expect, like a little extra gifty that came our way and that we had not foreseen. But God was always faithful. He always provided and we never went without being able to pay our mortgage and the things that we had to do. Hey, did you have to, do we have to give up a coffee every once in a while? Yeah. But, I mean, really in the scheme of things, when my head was right, when our head was right about it, we saw that for what it was. Because, again, sacrificial giving is a different mindset of giving. And I, w I don't want you to hear this with condemnation or anything like that. I want you to hear this with this to be the last thing that you remember as far as scripture for today. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Keep that in your mind. God loves you. We are thankful for you guys. And the enemy will try to lie to you time and time again that what you give and what you do doesn't matter but it does. It matters here and it matters eternally. And it's not a number. It's not a magical formula. It's what the Holy Spirit, what you pray and you are obedient to when you hear that is the supernatural. That is the supernatural. All right. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead and take communion. The worship team can start coming up. I'm going to be quick on this. Um, we've got a couple different stations for communion. 
we'll have wine here and here. And uh, we've got uh, juice at the little self-serve station. You just take the bread or the gluten-free cracker and you dip it in the wine and you can serve yourselves at the self-serve station or you can come up and be served. But when you do this, like take a second before you walk up and just commit to the Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Spirit, start working on my heart. I need to be able to hear you. I need to be able to hear you, not only just in the idea of giving, but in everything. He's there all the time, right there for you to talk to, right? It, gives, it will change your perspective on everything when you realize how he is just nestled in there to be with you every moment of every day. You are never alone in anything that you do. So let's just close in prayer, okay? So Lord, I just lift up this group of amazing people that are here in this building, that are watching us online, and I pray for your heart for them. I pray that you would just cover them with no condemnation, that you would just give them hope and you would give them a vision and you would give them just in their hearts the idea of perseverance in your name, Jesus. And we just pray this over this amazing group of people, this power to access you, Lord God, to not have to think we have to figure things out alone and that we can go to you and that you will not steer us wrong because you are always faithful and you never abandon us. And we are enough because you have said we are enough. In your name, Jesus, amen. Love you guys. Thank you.